I've always had a lot of drive with this sort of thing. It's always been something that I've very much enjoyed. So I've put in a lot of hard work, but it has never felt like, or generally it hasn't felt like hard work. It's just been a hobby. It's been something that I've wanted to do. Um, and starting that quite young, it became a habit. And it's just something that I did consistently for a long period of time. And I think that's really the key to success. Yo, Gorillas, welcome to the Athlete Insider Podcast by Go Nation. My name is Phil, and today's guest is somebody who is well-known in the calisthenics scene, somebody who inspires hundreds of thousands, even millions on the internet with his superhuman power, with his superhuman skills. I'm really happy to welcome you from Australia, Simon Atta. Thanks. <laughs> Yes, we finally made it. We made the interview possible that so many people were requesting. I'm really happy to welcome you to the show. And uh, to kick off, Simon, uh, how do you present yourself? Um, I'm Simon, uh, also known as Simon Monster. Um, I'm a physiotherapist and a calisthenics professional. So um, I've been doing calisthenics or some form of bodyweight training for about 20 years. I have a bit of a diverse background. And now mostly what I do is teach calisthenics and, and coach calisthenics. Great. And uh, you're one of the, the well-known people who made it, uh, who made it to, uh, to make calisthenics uh, their, their profession and uh, who is able to, to live uh, the sport, let's say it. And uh, I'm really looking forward to get to know you better, uh, your life, your training advice, etc. cetera. And uh, yeah, um, tell us more about your story. You're combining uh, gymnastics, you're combining breakdance. You have, a, as you said, a, an interesting background tell us more about it yeah so i started um when i was quite young my parents got me into gymnastics um i never did that for a very long time i did that for probably about a year when i was about 10 years old and a friend of mine uh, who i went to school with who also did gymnastics was taking breakdancing classes and he said you should come and try breakdancing and I, th i thought what's that <laughs> dancing and um <laughs> And he was like, just come. It's, it's really cool. It's like spinning on your head and all that, all that kind of stuff. So I went along. I really enjoyed it. And thereafter, I stopped gymnastics and switched just to breakdancing. But in gymnastics, there's always a, a strength and conditioning component. Um, or generally, strength and conditioning is a big component of gymnasts' training. So while I was training gymnastics, We'd train some technique. And then at some point in the class, there'd usually be about 30 minutes or an hour of, of body weight strength and conditioning or what, what we now call calisthenics. Mm -hmm. um, and as I was, um, as I was trying to, to learn some power moves, things like flares and air flares and combine different moves, I always thought if I was a little bit stronger, I could probably do this. If I, if I just had the strength, I could probably get away with some technical errors and it would help me, you know, learn the move and, and perfect the move. So I started taking some of the body weight strength training or the calisthenics that I've learned in gymnastics and applying that to my breakdancing. So it's always been a staple form of, um, form of training that I've kept along the way. Um, and then with breakdancing, there's a lot of freedom. I always liked the, the spectacular moves and the things that looked impossible. So the flips, the tricks, the hard balance moves. So that's where the, the flipping comes in and the power moves and combining a, a few different aspects. 
Okay, and uh, definitely makes sense when I uh, scroll to you on your YouTube channel to the bottom. Uh, it's like uh, nine years ago, uh, you already makes, made some, I'm not into breakdance, but some air flares, I think that's called, and like spinning yeah. uh, really, really uh, fast and on your hands. Um, and like you said, 20 years of uh, experience, uh, 20 years of yeah. sports now. Yeah, so I'm 30 now and I um, started with gymnastics when I was about 10 and switched to breakdancing at about 11. So. Wow, okay. So I bet you can teach and uh, share some stuff from your experience to the young generation because uh, I bet there are quite a few listeners who are like in calisthenics for two years, for one year even. Um, and somebody with 20 years um, is, I think you can share a lot about injury prevention and stuff like that later on. Um, Like, what are the benefits? Yeah, like uh, you, you started with uh, breakdance. You also took a few things uh, with uh, from gymnastics, I guess. Uh, what are the benefits that uh, these sports brought to your calisthenics career? Let's call it. Yes. Um, so I'm a bit unique when you look at me with, compared with other calisthenics athletes. Um, I think because I have such a diverse um, background, and what what that's given me is the freedom to express myself a little bit more um, diversely with my, with my performances. So, you know, it's not just statics. It's, it's not just dynamics. It's not just hand balancing. It's not just flips. It's kind of meshing these all together. Um, and I really like that because it, it allows a lot of um, artistic expression in calisthenics. You can join air flares into planche, into hollow backs, into hand hops, into, whatever kind of move you want. So that's, that's what I've, um, that's what I really enjoy about having the, the diverse background that I do. Makes sense. And um, did you ever think about competing in a, in a profit, uh, in a professional uh, like competition? So I used to compete with breakdancing. Mm -hmm. um, but once I started focusing more and more with on calisthenics, um, I never really comp competing was never really something that I, I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've always been very interested in um, anatomy and the, the kind of academic and sports science side of training. Um, and I really enjoy teaching. So that's kind of where my focus has been as I've, as I've switched over to doing more calisthenics as I've gotten older. Makes sense. Um, people always ask this, how uh, heavy and how tall are you? So I'm uh, 179 centimeters wow. uh, for people in the USA. That's about five, 10 and a half um, between five, 10 and five, 11. Um, and I'm about 77 kilos. I think some, I tend to be between about 76 and 80 kilos. Wow. Okay. I, I didn't expect that. I, th I thought you were smaller because uh, like the, the performance that you do, we all know that uh, let's say five centimeters less would make it a lot easier for you. And um, it's uh, a benefit that a lot of calisthenics athletes have like the, from the pros that they are a little smaller. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that makes it even more impressive. That's, uh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I, I hope that um, that motivates some people because I found A lot of taller athletes, especially um, a lot of younger, less experienced athletes, when they're starting calisthenics, um, often hear, oh, I'm tall. Am I ever going to be able to do this? And there are some people taller than me who can do, you know, amazing hold planche a lot longer than I can, mm -hmm. hold front lever a lot longer than I can. And 
it, it is a benefit to be smaller, but you can't change your height. All you can do is is train and increase um, what you know, increase your strength with the body that you're given. So if you are for the taller athletes out there, try not to be discouraged. You can achieve a, a great deal of um, proficiency with calisthenics, and I think it's even more impressive seeing somebody who's six foot holding a front lever compared with somebody who's you know five five. So yeah. Um, I know that like we often receive messages, oh, please interview a tall athlete. And these are often people, um, who are like above two meters. Um, so I don't know the, 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 the yeah. American uh, size, but like really, really the tall people. Um, and uh, they often laugh about, uh, when I say, oh, that's quite tall. And, uh, like I'm also 178 centimeters. So nearly as tall as you. And, um, they laugh about our size. Um, um, because they are like two meters and 20 centimeters yeah. higher. Uh, do you think it is, it's possible to um, get to your performances with, the, with uh, this height? I think if you're, you know, if you're two meters tall or you're six foot seven or you're, you know, you're the average height of somebody in the NBA, I think it's very unlikely that you will be able to excel and be, um, you know, one of the best calisthenics athletes. But I still think you can achieve a lot more than what um, than what people would expect from you. Um, you see a lot of people who are well above six foot holding a front lever. Um, there are a few guys above six foot holding a planche. Um, I think if you if you train and you you obviously have to make a few more sacrifices than somebody who's a little bit younger, it will be more difficult for you to achieve that than if you had have been you know five five. But I think um, a great deal can still be achieved. With that, it's very difficult to answer that because there's so much variation between people. Somebody's genetic ability, um, you know, at six foot might be might be more than somebody else who is five eight or you know five seven. Um, so it's yeah, it's very difficult to say. You know, will I ever be able to achieve this? The answer is I don't know. Um, but why not give it a try? Sure. And that's where the mindset, I think, pops in that um, it's not my goal shouldn't be I want to be the next Simonster, um, but my goal should be the best version of myself, you know, and um, exactly. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's good that you say that. Um, When I look from the outside of you, uh, on, on you as an athlete, uh, and I follow, I personally follow your videos since um, uh, what the first video that you did in this boxing ring, I think. Um, I, I think it's like uh, six years old or five years old, yeah. something like that. Um, uh, I always ask my, my, myself, how is it possible to come to that uh, kind of performance? And um, That's the question that I wanted to ask you. What do you think is your secret, your um, formula to success? How did you get the, the the athlete that you are today? Is it genetics? Is it uh, that you work harder than everybody else? Is it your scientific approach? Is it your background knowledge from uh, physiotherapy? What what is it that makes you uh, succeed? I, I honestly think it's a, a large combination of all those things. And a lot of that has to do with luck as well. Um, you know, so... Um, starting off with with as we spoke about earlier with the background that I have it's quite a unique background and I think that gives me a, a lot of edge in the performances that I do and makes my type of performance quite unique um, but then along the way I've I, I've always had a lot of drive with this sort of thing it's always been something that I've very much enjoyed 
So I've put in a lot of hard work, but it has never felt like, or generally it hasn't felt like hard work. It's just been a hobby. It's been something that I've wanted to do. Um, and starting that quite young, it became a habit. And it's just something that I did consistently for a long period of time. And I think that's the key to, um, I think that's really the key to success. When you look at athletes who've achieved a great deal, it's just consistent hard work over a really long period. Um, with that, I've, I've had a lot of luck on my side with good training partners, good teachers, um, being able to travel, good work-life balance um, that have helped, helped with that as well. Yeah, it's true because um, there are so many variants. Um, for example, somebody who works in night shifts, um, somebody uh, like who has a lot of pressure on his body, not good work by life balance. All these things influence the the, the performance, right? Yeah, and and even even small things that I that I was very lucky to to have. Um, for example, I went to university very close to where I live. Uh, my commute time was was quite short, so that that gave me a lot of time for training. So others had to commute, you know, 90 minutes each way. I had a, a 10 minute bike ride to, to um, my university. So that, that's, um, you know, it can seem like a, a little, very small thing, but that amount of time really adds up when you, when you look at that over the course of four or so years. That's true. And it, and it brings responsibility to you as a person that you use this time, right? These 50 minutes that you spare every day that other people are sitting in the tram or whatever, um, that um, you invest this time in training, stretching, uh, preparing food, whatever. Yeah. One, one thing I'll say for, um, for the younger athletes out there or the um, less experienced athletes is often when you look at really high level people and you look at their training um, schedules, it can seem crazy. So when you look at these people who can do amazing things and they're training for four hours a day, if you're, if you're just starting and you're quite young and it's your first year of calisthenics, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to go from doing nothing to doing four hours a day. And these habits take time to, to build in the same way that strength um, and technique takes time to build. So all these guys who are doing crazy things and training for hours and hours on end probably didn't start that way. So it, it is okay to start small, build a habit, find a, a style of training that you enjoy and a habit that is sustainable and build from there. Yeah. Because the interview before you um, is uh, an interview with uh, Sergio Di Pasquale from Italy, and he is uh, an endurance athlete, and he like does crazy numbers in his workouts, uh, like two uh, thousand dips, two thousand squats, like this this stuff, you know. And if I see this as a beginner and I want to progress fast, I might have have the temptation to do the same reps, the numbers, but I just take a little longer, uh, a lot longer, let's let's say. Um, but it's not good. For the joints etc so um i think the healthy way is yeah. definitely what you said to build the habit yeah and even even if um there's two downsides to that one is that you might just get an overuse injury your body hasn't um acclimated to this style of training you do too much too soon it can't recover from it and you get an injury and then you need to take you know three months off when you could have just slowed down a little bit that's one downside the other downside um that is less um I feel like people don't talk about as much is just that you probably won't enjoy it. <laughs> if you go from, <laughs> if you go from doing nothing to trying 2000 dips a day, you're probably not going to 
have a lot of fun with that. And you'll probably just think, why am I doing this? Calisthenics sucks. And there, there goes your, um, you know, there goes your drive and you might just stop there. Whereas if you started with, you know, three sets of 10, uh, you know, a few times a week and built from there, um, you might really enjoy this style of training, build a habit, and you might be able to progress to the point where you can do 2000 dips in a day. True. How many hours do you uh, put into training currently per week? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not very consistent. It very much depends on what my schedule is like and if I'm traveling or if I'm teaching. But generally, I try to do a couple of hours most days of the week. So mm -hmm. maybe one to two hours, four to five times uh, a week. Okay. And how do you put so many disciplines, so many, yeah, let's call it skills in one schedule in one week, let's call it. Yeah. So, so I, I don't actually train, um, every skill in my skill set every week. So a lot of the skills that I've learned, um, and I've mastered them to a level that I'm happy with. Um, I usually just put them in the maintenance bin And I might come back to them once every you know, month or so just to make sure that they're still crisp and I can still do them well. If they're getting sloppy, I might give them a little bit more attention. But things like air flares or head spins for me now, I could not do an air flare for six months and still, um, still be able to do them quite well. Um, so generally what I do is periodize my training. And um, what that means is... is um, generally manip manipulating what you do so you can peak for different things at different times. So I might do blocks where I train a little bit more with breakdancing, blocks where I train a little bit more with statics, blocks where I train a little bit more with dynamics, depending on what I'm trying to achieve at, at that particular time. But as a general rule, um, I train skills before I train strength. So things like hand balancing, flips, power moves, uh, or breakdancing moves, they come first. Um, After that, I'll train my, my strength um, exercises generally for about an hour, and then I might finish off with some mobility work. Okay. And do you also train uh, um, reps on a consistent, like base, the basics, pull-ups, uh, dips, et cetera? Yeah. So, so when I say strength, um, I, I mean um, all forms of strength, static, dynamic. So uh, that will include things like static planche holds, static lever holds, dynamic things like lever raises and, you know, planche negatives, planche raises, planche push-ups. And then I do a lot of the basics. So things like dips, uh, weighted chin-ups, weighted pull-ups, um, those sorts of exercises. Okay. And are you stronger in pull or in push generally? Def definitely in push. Okay. Um, so yeah, with, with the, my background, I've done basically exclusively pushing exercises most of my life. Um, starting with breakdancing, I was always doing handstand push-ups, planche, those sorts of exercises to help with breakdancing. Um, there's no pulling in breakdancing. <laughs> you, yeah. you can't pull on the floor. So um, I exclusively worked on pushing exercises probably up until about three years ago when I started integrating more, more pulling exercises. Okay. Interesting. And um, if I want to take a shortcut as a beginner or in a, as an intermediate or even as, a, as an advanced athlete, you also offer your training programs. And uh, like uh, you, you offer the shortcut, you offer knowledge, etc. cetera, uh, to people like me. Um, can you tell us more about it? 
Yeah, so I have a few training programs um, and I'm always trying to develop more. Uh, probably the, the best known one is uh, Project Calisthenics, um, which is a general program that I've developed that has three levels, beginner, intermediate and advanced. Um, so beginner is for those of you who've done no training whatsoever, who are working towards your first rep of dips or chin-ups or can only do a few reps. Intermediate is to build capacity with those things. So if you could do 10 chin-ups, 10 dips, and you just want to improve your capacity and get an introduction into things like planche and lever. And advanced is for the more advanced athletes who can hold a tuck planche, hold a tuck lever, or even hold a full planche or full lever um, and want to start improving their capacity and working towards more advanced skills like lever raises, planche push-ups, um, one-arm chin-ups, and those, those sorts of skills. So these are general programs that include pushing, pulling, as well as leg exercises. I know um, legs isn't a big component of calisthenics, but I've included it just to make it a comprehensive program. And then alongside the general strengthening program, which is there to build strength and build a foundation in a balanced manner, there are tutorials for skills like the handstand, handstand push-up, planche, lever, where I give a technical breakdown of that particular skill which muscles are working, what technical cues do you need to think about, and what are the progressions to, to get there. So um, the reason I put this together is these kind of um, tutorials for these skills, you can find them all over the place, um, but it's very hard to find high-quality tutorials for all of these things all in the same place um, that are curated. So I've tried to do that to take the guesswork out of training where you can just say, hey, what position should my hands be in the planche? Okay, click on the planche tutorial. Yeah, and it makes such a big difference in the head even, uh, just having a plan to follow and uh, like a program and uh, really numbers and uh, professional advice than just, as you said, guessing or like uh, searching it together from YouTube videos. It, it's definitely a good start to do that like this, but if you really want to go deep in and want to take it serious, uh, it's it's uh, definitely something that people can profit from like 20 years, as you said, uh, yeah. And um, like uh, we also prepared a little bonus for everybody who uh, already sticked until here uh, for the podcast. Uh, so everybody, uh, every, all the listeners are getting 10% off with the code coronation 10 on your website uh, on the, in the shop. So everybody uh, can check the, the bio, uh, the, the description with the link, with the code, etc., cetera. And uh, yeah, profit from 10% off with the code coronation 10. <laughs> Great. Um, so, um, if you see, like, you're in touch with a lot of athletes, I guess, with your, uh, with you, your role as a coach, as an athlete, as an influencer, also, uh, what are the main three things that people, if uh, if they improve the, these three things in their workout, they would get much better results? What are the main problems that you see? I think the main um, the main thing is consistency. I think that's uh, by far the most important thing. Um, training with consistency. Um, over a long period of time, that's what you need to get to get good results. You know, that that famous saying, Rome wasn't built in a day, neither was planche or front lever. So, um, <laughs> yeah, understand that these skills take a lot of time. Progress won't won't happen every day, especially the, the more advanced you get. Progress tends to slow down. Um, but you need to stick at it over a really long period of time. Another thing that I... Um, 
that I often see, which kind of relates to the same point, is people chopping and changing their routines too frequently. Um, and this is especially true for beginners where there are so many skills to learn. I want to learn one-arm chin-up, planche, front lever, back lever, handstand, handstand push-up, one-arm handstand, human flag. How do I do all of this at once? Yeah. And the truth is you can't really do all of this at once. Um, if you try to include exercises for each of those skills in your program, you do flag on Monday, you do bench press on Wednesday, you squat on a Friday and do chin-ups, you're not getting repeated exposure to the same exercises, which is very important to progressively overload and to make progress with them. You need repeated exposure to the same stimulus to optimize results. So what I encourage people to do is pick a program, focus on a few skills at, the, at a time, stick at that for a period of time, you know, at least six to eight weeks so that you can make progress when you plateau or when you get bored or when your goals change, that's when you can switch up your, your program to focus on other things. One thing that, um, that might not be intuitive for beginners is that a lot of these skills help each other. So a great example of this is if I really want to unlock the planche, the handstand push-up and the, the planche push-up, the handstand push-up and the 90 degree push-up, I can think, oh, there's three skills that I, that I want to learn. I need to include exercises from each of them. Mm -hmm. But that's not really true. If I improve my planche push-up, I guarantee that my handstand push-up will improve as well. If I improve my handstand push-up capacity, my 90-degree push-up capacity should improve as well. If you think of a, a planche and a back lever, they're essentially the same move. They use the exact same muscles. The only difference is the shoulder angle. In a planche, your shoulder's flexed about 30 degrees. In a back lever, your shoulder's extended about 30, 45 degrees. So by improving your planche, you will also get some transfer to your back lever. So if you focus on planche for a period of six to eight weeks and then focus on your back lever for a period of six to eight weeks and improve your capacity with planche, then improve your capacity with back lever, you probably get a much better outcome than chopping and changing every week and not getting repeated exposure to the same thing. Um, so those are two points that I'd make. Consistency over a long period of time, consistency with your training program, not chopping and changing exercises. The final thing is to listen to your body and not train into pain. The, the saying, no pain, no gain, is you know very motivating. It's a very sexy saying, but it can do a lot of harm. I think the intention with that saying is really good, but without effort, there's no gain. So you need to be challenging yourself to, to make adaptations and to change yourself. And that's true, but your training should never be painful in the sense that something is hurting and you're concerned that you're injuring a tissue. If that happens, you should back off rest or modify the, the exercise so that you can do it without pain. You're much better off taking a few days rest than being forced to take three months rest because you've torn your bicep tendon. Okay. It seems that you prepared these three things. Uh, they, they definitely make sense. And it's, it's impressive how they come like uh, from your spirit like that, that quickly. But I can definitely uh, relate. I can definitely uh, see this. Um, 
because there are like hundreds of exercises that you could do as a calisthenics athlete because calisthenics means freedom of movement. You can do everything. It's not like bench pressing, curling, and that's it. Uh, but uh, you can do everything. So um, it's definitely a temptation to to want to learn too many things at once. Um and about the the no pain no gain do you think it, it is um beneficial if you work really hard uh, and next day you have like muscle pain and feel sore is it is it a good pain or is it a bad pain is it a sign that you went too far yeah no i think muscle soreness delayed onset muscle soreness what people call doms is is absolutely fine mm -hmm. um it's not necessary it's it doesn't have to happen so if you're not getting sore that's absolutely fine you can make good strength gains without getting sore um, but getting sore can be a good sign that you've had a good workout and that, um, you know, you've fatigued your muscles and they need a bit of time to recover. Um, but I, I would differentiate that strongly from pain because if you speak to any trained athlete, they can very well tell the difference between DOMS and the onset of an injury or, or a different type of pain. Okay. Um, how did you have any injuries in your uh, career? Hundreds <laughs> we, can, okay. we can talk about. Yeah, tell um, us more. About some of them. Oh, just to go back to the, the point about um, about DOMS. Sorry for jumping around. I'm it's a perfect. bit jet lagged. <laughs> just landed <laughs> in hotel quarantine. Um, um, just to go back to the point about delayed onset muscle soreness. Like I said, it's not essential. So if you're not getting sore, that's that's okay. Some people get tend to get quite sore. Other people don't tend to get as sore. And that tends to happen when you do unaccustomed activity. So if you want to get really sore, just do something that you never do. You never do bench press, do it. You'll get sore. If you run up a hill backwards, you will be sore the next day. <laughs> um, but, um, but like I said, you need repeated exposure to the same thing to make strength gains and to overload. And the more you do something, the less sore you'll get. So just because you're not getting as sore anymore as you were a few weeks ago does not mean that your workouts aren't aren't as effective. Um, what I, what I tend to try to aim for with my workouts is to be a bit fatigued the next day. So if, let's say I train a pushing day, I do handstand pushups, planche, planche pushups. The next day I want to feel like I've worked out. I want my muscles to be fatigued or slightly sore. I want to feel like the next day I can't do the same workout at the same intensity, but a day after or a day or two after you should feel recovered enough that you can do that again. So if you're feeling so sore that, you know, you've done a workout and you're sore for a week, that's probably not an ideal place to be. You should feel that, you know, in a couple of days you can repeat that same, same workout again. And through that method, you get repeated exposure to the same stimulus at a high intensity. And over time you can overload and build on, on your current intensity yeah definitely makes sense because it's a it's a mistake that you can easily run into just uh going all in no pain no gain as you said this mentality and then being sore uh for <laughs> for one week uh yeah, yeah that's yeah okay let's uh go come to your injuries to your yeah, injury. So, um so i've had a ton of injuries i can um I can name a bunch. I've had a, I did a, a few years of martial arts. I did a lot of jujitsu and I had a left shoulder dislocation, tore my labrum. So I had a reconstruction on my left shoulder in 2009. 
I've had uh, meniscal tears on both knees, um, also jujitsu injuries, um, which I've had um, knee scopes for. I tore my adductor longus tendon or tendon in my groin. I ripped that off the bone in, I think, um, 2015 or 2016. Um, um, I slipped and, and yeah, <laughs> tore that completely off the bone. So that put oh. me out for about, about three months. Um, and then I've had all the, the little injuries you can imagine, ganglions in the wrist. I've had golfer's elbow training, you know, one-arm chin-ups, um, rotator cuff tears and tendinopathies and yeah, you name it. Okay, cool. Sounds sounds good. Uh, no, yeah. uh, but uh, <laughs> what are the, the takeaways that you can uh, give to the listeners? From that. Yeah, so um, injuries can be very discouraging. Not only do you have physical pain, but if calisthenics is what you love to do and you can't do it at the same ability or you can't train the skills that you want to train, it can be really discouraging and it can be really, um, it can be really harmful to your mental health. So what I tend to do is do your best to stay positive and try to focus on what you can do. So I've always found generally when you have an injury, it provides an avenue to train something that you don't normally train. So if your right wrist hurts, you might practice um, hand balancing on your left hand and improve your weaker side. Um, if you're the front of your shoulder hurts with planche, you might take that that next six, eight weeks while you're resting to really work on front lever and work on chin-ups and work on exercises that don't cause pain. So when you have an injury, there's generally something you can do that won't aggravate it, that still allows you to rest that area while you can make improvements in other areas. That would be my biggest takeaway. Makes and sense. don't push into pain. And how to prevent them uh, definitely makes sense to work around them once once you have it. Uh, but what yeah. what are the uh, the things that you do today to not get injured again? Yeah, unfortunately, injuries are an inevitable part of training. They they almost everybody at a high level will get an injury. Some people say things like, "This means that you were training wrong." This means that you know you did this wrong. But if you look at every sport at the highest level, people are getting injured. And in the NBA, people have access to the best nutrition, the best physical therapists, the best sports doctors, the best surgeons, and they still get injured. So there is nothing, no matter what anyone tells you, there's nothing that you can do to bulletproof yourself and make yourself completely immune to injury. However, there are some things you can do to reduce your risk of injury. The few things that you can do through training, um, one thing I would say before training is to just be smart with your training, <laughs> progress gradually. Overuse injuries tend to happen when you do too much too soon. So if you go from, you know, you take a handstand workshop with your favorite hand balancer, you go from doing no handstands to now doing three hours a day on your hands, your wrists aren't used to that. That's a good way to give yourself an overuse injury of the wrist or the shoulder or the elbow. So progress gradually, allow you, your body time to acclimate. Listen to your body. If your body's consistently sore, if things are increasing, if pain is increasing in joints, that's probably a sign that you're going too fast or doing too much too soon. So go slow, listen to your body. Don't try stupid things. Um, if you can just 
reduce your your risk by not trying things that are way out of your ability level, you will significantly reduce your risk of injury. Um, so that's the probably the most important thing. Be smart with your training. Beyond that, a few things that you can do to help mitigate your risk of injury. Um, warming up is very important. So doing a, a very solid warm-up, if you want some details about warming up and the science of it and what to do, I have a video on YouTube about that. The other two things that, that are really useful or the, the three things that you can change through training to reduce your risk of injury, one is strength. The stronger you are, the less chance you have of injuring that particular area. So getting nice and strong, you can do that lots of ways. You can do your traditional rehab, prehab exercises with a band, wrist push-ups, those sorts of things. But your tissues will adapt with training anyway. So just, just be gradual. Over time, things will get stronger. Things will get more flexible if you pay attention to that and you stretch and you do mobility work. And your neuromuscular control will get better. So if you're practicing things like hand balancing, handstand alignment, that will improve your technique. And if you have good strength, good flexibility, or mobility and good neuromuscular control, you're in the best position that your body can be to be resilient against stresses against it. So the stronger you are, the less chance you have of um, getting injured when you're when you're a lot of force goes through that particular joint or muscle. The more mobile you are, the less chance you have of getting injured when you're contracting in a lengthened position or when your body goes to a position that um, that is at the end of its range. The more control you have, the more ability you have to keep your joints stable and prevent them from going to places that you don't want to go, going to um, positions that are potentially injurious. Yeah. So just to summarize, be smart. Don't do, don't do dumb things. Um, progress gradually, get strong, get mobile, um, and develop neuromuscular control. Okay. And uh, sleep, that's also a question that we uh, received. How does your sleep schedule look like apart from, from the jet lag? Yeah, <laughs> um, I try to sleep as much as possible. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that sleep is uh, a really good thing and getting as much sleep as you can or what is known in the literature as sleep extension can actually be really beneficial in terms of performance. I try to sleep as much as I can. So I try to get eight eight or more hours a night. Um, one thing that you can do to improve um, improve performance or improve recovery, what's known in the literature as sleep extension, is trying to sleep as much as you can. So let's say you wake up in the morning, you think you can sleep another hour, go back to sleep, get that hour if you can do it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there is no limit. So because I know the phenomen phenomenon uh, from where I was uh, like, uh, I don't know, six, seven years ago when I uh, slept, like when I, as a student, I slept on the weekend, maybe 10, maybe 11 hours. And I felt so tired afterwards. Yeah. Um, I, I often feel like that if it's not something that I do consistently, or if it's, you know, if it's a change to my sleeping habit. Oh, okay. So, I think that's often the case that you see with, um, especially, you know, when you're young and you're studying and you've got this week where you might be sleep deprived and then on the weekend you sleep for a really long time at a yeah. strange hour. Um, but if you can have a consistent um, sleeping pattern, good sleep hygiene, um, and try to maximize the amount of sleep you get, that's a, a really good thing you can do for your recovery. Okay. 
Good, because that's that makes sense. Somebody who sleeps six hours the week and then on the weekend he, he thinks, oh, now I can get back some sleep and then he sleeps like 10, 11, 12 hours. Makes sense yeah. that and his body <laughs> is not in a, in a habit, in a, in a flow, let's call it. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, we're closely coming to an end. Um, I would be interested in what are your goals for 2021 for this year? We just started, we kicked off in a new year. Uh, did you make some plans? What can people expect from you? Um, yeah, so this year I just want to make a lot more um, content and tutorials. So I'm planning to get a handstand push-up specific tutorial out um, in the first half of the year. Um, Basically, I just want to make the best quality, um, most detailed tutorials that I can for a particular topic. So if you want to learn about the handstand push-up, you can get Project Handstand Push-Up and you will learn absolutely every little thing um, that you could need to about that skill. So that's the, the goal this year is to focus on, um, focus on tutorials. I hope to get maybe two out um, within the year of a high quality. Great. That uh, sounds good. Um, something that I had uh, as a question, because you're the first guy from Australia that I interview. Um, yeah. A few years ago, I made some research about calisthenics. And uh, in Australia, it seemed like that calisthenics also means a dance, a kind of... Uh, yeah. Yes. What, what's, <laughs> what's up with that? <laughs> yeah. So when, when I started hearing about... When calisthenics started getting popular, you know, five, ten years ago, um, the word started getting thrown around a little bit more. Um, I never used it because in Australia, um, calisthenics is synonymous with rhythmic gymnastics. So you, when you think about calisthenics in Australia, or when you say that people think about girls in leotards with ribbons playing yeah. with ribbons. And when people ask me what I train now, <laughs> even in Australia, sometimes I say, Oh, I do calisthenics. And they just look at me like, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's becoming a little bit um, calisthenics referring to body weight training is becoming a little bit more mainstream. People really know what you're talking about now, but yeah, the, the past five years or so, when you say calisthenics in Australia, some people might think you're talking about rhythmic gymnastics. So if you encounter that, that's, that's why. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that was something that's uh, on my mind since a few years. So I finally have it. Thank you. Um, yeah, we're coming to some quick questions, quick answers. Um, first question, pizza or burger? Oh, burger. Okay. Do you have to, to eat? I'll have to do, do you eat uh, some some uh, delivered food in the next uh, time due to your quarantine? Or uh, I don't know if I'm allowed, but I I probably will, and if not, I will when I get out of quarantine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's really strict here. I'm in this room for 14 days. I can't leave the room. I can't open the door um, without a without a reason. So I can only open the door when they when they knock to deliver my meals. Oh, sounds crazy because you just returned from the US, you said, right? Yeah. All, all overseas travelers, uh, except from New Zealand, have to quarantine for 14 days. 
Interesting. Um, so good luck in quarantine. Um, yeah, <laughs> some some home workouts, uh, some hotel work, uh, hotel room workouts incoming, I guess. But uh, yeah, I think you know the best how to stay stay uh, motivated and stay uh, working out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you a dog or a cat person? Cat. Cat. Okay. I know that's the the very unpopular answer, but yeah. <laughs> I like cats. Uh, do you have a favorite location for holidays? Um, I love Bali. Okay, cool. Um, what would you work or what would change for you if social media just disappeared? Every YouTube, every Instagram. I, I probably wouldn't have a job. Um, I'd probably go back to being a, <laughs> a physiotherapist because uh, I don't think many people would have access to to my programs or at least be aware of them. Yeah, I think that would be the biggest change. Okay. Yeah, maybe you have to, um, maybe we see you in, in the newspapers then, but um, it's true that uh, such a change would, would mean a lot for, for, for you and also for us, yeah. Yeah, I might, I might have to write a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Old school. Yeah, but it's not a good, it's not a bad thing. I think, uh, yeah, book is still a cool thing uh, to do. But yeah, that's a different topic. Um, do you have a favorite calisthenics athlete, somebody that you follow, somebody uh, that inspires you? Oh, there are uh, there are so many that um, none. I, I really like La Rosa. He's he's awesome. Um, but yeah, there are too many though. Okay. <laughs> okay <laughs> i can relate because there are some like when you see planche i when uh, when you think of plants there is one athlete when you think of dynamics there is one athlete yeah. there are so many and, yeah and then i think of you know I, i i can think of like there are so many good guys out there now that are just unbelievable and some of these guys i you know i've never heard of and someone sends me a video and i think who's this guy yeah yuri someone he's amazing yeah um, But yeah, it's too hard to, to think of people off the top of my head right now. Sure. Okay. I'll have to get, I'll have to get back to you when I'm not jet lagged. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great. Uh, do you have a favorite book? Um, Free Will by Sam Harris. Okay. Uh, what is it about? Uh, whether or not you have free will and the moral implications of that. Okay. Yeah, it's a philosophical book. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite song right now? Um, I, I don't right now. Um, but my Spotify playlist is public. If you, if you type in my name, you can see what type of songs I like. That's good. We will also link it in the description. Um, and favorite movie. Do you have a favorite movie? Um, I like Tarantino movies. So things like Kill Bill, um yeah okay um the most difficult question i guess uh if you could only follow one person on instagram who would it be it would be a big donation oh no, <laughs> <laughs> no but seriously <laughs> um I'm, i'm not sure i'll probably have to say my my girlfriend or i'll get in trouble okay okay <laughs> <laughs> then we will just cut away the coronation thing and uh, it will be good and the and the <laughs> thing that you have to say it um <laughs> do, you, uh, do you have a uh, favorite calisthenics event that you've visited 
Um, I, I really enjoyed teaching a workshop. It's not a calisthenics event, but I really enjoyed teaching a workshop in Guadalajara. Um, I think that was that was one of my favorite experiences. I can guess. Okay. Um, yeah, we're coming to an end. Um, the question at the end is always, how can people get in touch with you? How can they ask you questions? Um, yes, how, where do, do they find you? Yep. So my website is simonsterstrength.com. Um, my YouTube and Instagram um, are under the same name as well. Um, you can go to my contact page on my website to send me an email. That's probably the, the best option. Alternatively, you could um, send me a, a message on Instagram or a comment on YouTube, but it's probably not as reliable as email. Cool. And so, uh, yeah, everything is in the description, all the links uh, to your socials, to your website, and also to the programs. And uh, again, the hint uh, with the code Coronation10, you get 10% off all the programs and uh, you can enjoy making progress and uh, profiting from your experience. And uh, yeah, Simon, I want to say thank you for your time, uh, for for your time just landing in, in Australia again with uh, jet lag. I'm really happy that we, we made it possible. I think people will appreciate it. And uh, big, big thank you also to everyone listening to this till the end. It's been uh, nearly an hour. And uh, yeah, thanks for your support. If you want to share this to your friends uh, who could be interested in, if you want to sh uh, comment it, like it, do whatever you want. And Simon, you can have the last word. Thanks for your time. I say goodbye. Thanks for listening, guys. All the best. Happy New Year. <laughs> And thanks for having me, Phil. You're welcome. <laughs>